Hey everybody, this is John Maroon. Welcome to Spin is a Four-Letter Word, the Maroon PR podcast, all things public relations, media, etc., etc. Joining me today is our VP and esteemed colleague, Matt Williams. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Silent but deadly, producer Brittany Everett, waving her hands wildly. Thank you, Britt. Um, today, we are going to talk to Julie Parker. Julie Parker um, is a very accomplished PR pro, made the jump from media to public relations, uh, before a lot of media people were doing that. Um, before anything else, I want you to give her a follow. If you're on Twitter, she's really good to follow. It's at Julie Parker com at Julie Parker C O M M. And her website of her company is Julie Parker communications.com. She has a fascinating background and really fun to talk with. Yeah, she really does. I mean, you know, I've known her for a long time, uh, from her days at uh, WJLA and in, in Washington DC as a reporter, and, you know, John, she's made a, a great transition, and she's really now become an expert in the crisis world. And I think our listeners today are going to get a little primer on on crisis and some of the do's and don'ts. Well, the, the work that she's done in law enforcement and kind of taking some uh, law enforcement departments up to speed with new, new tactics uh, to, to communicate with the public have been fascinating. So uh, without further ado, Julie, thank you so much for joining us for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, you bet. Hey, Julie, you used to be in the media, and now you're on the the dark side as we joke about it and say now you're on the PR side for a long time now, but it's a trend now. You've seen more media folks kind of making the transition over to public relations or communications of some sort. You were a little bit ahead of the curve. Tell us a little bit about how that happened and what, what led you to that? Yeah. You know, when you work in local news, maybe national, I don't know. I didn't do that, but in the, in the newsroom in, in uh, DC, I work for the ABC affiliate WJLA and when you're a reporter, uh, anchor, whatever it is that you do in the in the news, you just sort of always think you'll stay. <laughs> and this this notion has started changing pretty quickly in recent years as the the journalism profession has changed dramatically, as you well know. And it's not the same profession that we got into for those of us who were in newsrooms in the early 2000s, it's just, it's just different. Uh, it, you know, right around 2008, when, when the market crashed, the economy tanked, it really affected the media landscape. And so while I wasn't ready to jump ship when Prince George's County police, which is outside DC started recruiting me essentially, I, I started a little bit listening. So I said, no, I'm good. Mm -hmm. But then I, each time they, they came back, I'd listen for just a little bit longer <laughs> and mull it a little bit harder. And then over the, it really was over the course of two years that they were in my ear. And then I made the jump in the summer of 2011. And at that time, certainly in our area, I don't think that there had been other TV journalists who had switched over and gone to a police department to manage its media relations. It was new and novel at the time. And to be very clear, I had zero training <laughs> specific to how to do communications per se, how to do law enforcement communications. Certainly I was a general assignment reporter, which meant that I was covering whatever it was that they sent me out on that day. I, I did cover plenty of 
law enforcement related stories, the Beltway Sniper is probably the right. most dramatic. I uh, spent three weeks on that with the other media and was first on the air in the market for Channel 7 and remember being outside that gas station in Kensington yeah. thinking, what what is happening? Right. And so I worked certainly with law enforcement PIOs with various members of law enforcement during the course of my career, but I was hardly a pro at policing matters. And just like anything else, anyone who goes from journalism into the world of PR, whether it's you're a public information officer or PIO, or you do what Matt's done and, and gone to an agency, everything has its learning curve. And there was a lot of learning to be done, making the switch from reporter to director of a media relations bureau for a large PD like the Prince George's County Police. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And Julia, you know, I was there in DC when when you made that switch and I think um, as as out of the box as it seemed to be at that time, it quickly started making a lot of sense because, you know, mm-hmm. you were on the air um, and you were a pro and had been on the had been on the air for a long time and you were a pro re- now representing the police department. Um, and I'm, I should say one of the biggest law enforcement uh, uh, divisions in, in the country, one local, one largest local uh, law enforcement mm-hmm. division. So, um, and, and that was a big job. And, and I think it quickly started making a lot of sense to people, to viewers and all that, you know, yeah, why not do this? And, and if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a number of other reporters in the, in the region started doing things like that. Maybe not in law enforcement, but you start to see them go to Washington Gas and Pepco yes. and utilities like that. that yes. This kind yes. of became a thing, right? Uh, it, it, it was and is absolutely a thing, and it makes perfect sense. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people in newsrooms today who want to get out yeah. and who ask what makes the most sense for that person. And not everyone is wired to go from a newsroom into a police department. There's a whole host of reasons why, but you have to be, in my opinion, extremely mm, adrenaline-seeking, <laughs> really news-hungry. You need to have that sort of personality because at least to go from, in D.C., to go from ABC affiliate to the Prince George's County Police. I'm not going to say it was a seamless transition, but as you said, it made a lot of sense. And Matt, you said it was a big job. It was the hardest job I've ever had to this day. And I think it's because I felt a lot of pressure that I put on myself, to be very clear, no one else did. I put this all on myself that this is a new concept, doing air quotes for you that you can't see. At the time, it was new. And because I wasn't trained specifically, I really was, but I didn't know it necessarily mm-hmm. because I wasn't trained specifically in how to do that job. I wanted to do it right. And we were up against a lot of challenges. We had a lot of reputational challenges within the Prince George's County community. And I would say the larger DC area and there to a lesser extent, there were some challenges with the media. And so all I did was take the skills that I developed as a reporter and what I'd learned about news and applied it to that job. And I used social media almost as a customer service slash news reporting tool. So I 
wanted us to be the reporters of that agency and to report news, good and bad, to the public. And really reporting the bad news about the department, and I don't mean homicides and shootings and kidnappings, that's that's par for the course for any police department. We had that in spades in Prince George's at the time. Uh, we probably averaged about 100 homicides a year at that time. So we were extremely busy pushing out information to the public. But to, I think to really earn the public's trust, what we did was become more transparent than some other agencies around us because we wanted to establish to our community, those we served, that we are going to fess up and own up if something goes wrong. And if that means that we're going to have those uncomfortable moments where we need to stand before the microphones and face all those cameras and those reporters and use the media to talk to the public about what it is that occurred, what we're doing to ensure it won't happen again, and simply just the act of facing the cameras makes such a difference in whether people will believe you or not. And the word transparency gets tossed out and tossed around too frequently. And it rubs me the wrong way when it's simply used as that. You know, check this word transparency in that line that we put out in our news release. No, no. And in fact, I pushed back on, on a client recently when they said, say something about transparency. And I said, but we're not being transparent. And I get, I get really, I get really agitated about that because if your name's behind it, whether you're writing the news release, even if people can't see your name or you're attached to a police department as its spokesperson, if I'm going to stand up there, I'm going to tell you the truth. I may not be able to tell you every single detail, but I learned in law enforcement that as a former reporter, I wanted to tell everything, just everything. And then over the course of time, I learned, well, Julie, if you say the suspect was found with a knife in his backpack, only the suspect's going to know that. So if you push that out and we haven't yet gotten the suspect in our custody, he's going to ditch the backpack, he's going to ditch the knife, and you're going to blow our case. And I was like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> and so we'd have this back and forth where it, they'd say, no, you can't say that. And I'd say, why? And I'd say it respectfully, but I really meant it like a kid, like, why? Why not? And they'd say either an exa that example that I just gave you or the example was because we've never done that before. Right. And I hear that it doesn't – it's not – trust me, it is not just uh, a line that is relegated to law enforcement. I hear that in all sorts of organizations that I work with. We've never done it that way before. Yeah, I and mean, really, for sure. I don't say it out loud. I, I don't want to say I don't care, but I kind of don't care. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're in a different space now. No, you hear that all the time. I mean, it's it's a it's a never-ending struggle, especially in our, in our industry. Uh, we're talking to Julie Parker. She owns Julie Parker Communications. Check them out, JulieParkerCommunications.com. She's a really fun follow on Twitter at JulieParkerCom C O M M. Give her a follow there. Julie, talk a little bit about that too, because you getting a police department on social media really aggressively for the first time, getting them to be more transparent. It's remarkable, but that couldn't have been easy. I mean, talk a little bit about what that <laughs> took and the resistance you may have faced and how you overcame that. It was not easy. And 
especially then. So think about the age of Twitter at that time. So I went in the summer of 2011. Twitter was not that old. I think in the newsroom at Channel 7, I started using Twitter maybe in 09. And I was one of the early adopters. And other reporters were like, what are you doing with that? And I didn't really know. But I knew that it was a way to reach people in between our newscasts. And it was a better option than the commercial that was running at two or four or five oh five for the next hit on the news. It was a way to reach people at all times. And I felt it was a great opportunity for newsrooms to be able to market their people. Because in most markets, everyone's going to cover the same stuff generally. The reason you tune in to a particular station is because you like the people that you're getting your news from. And Maybe it's because you trust that particular outlet. Well, I felt that this was a great opportunity to reach our viewers. Well, I took that philosophy over to the police department. And at the time when I got there, they had 327 followers on Twitter, maybe 347. (laughs) It wasn't it wasn't obviously a, you know, a, a heavily used tool. And I again, this was really early on. So I kept my newsroom Twitter feed, changed the name to I want to say it was PGPD Julie, and I would sometimes share police news that was a little bit different than what we had put out as the official department page. So if the department tweeted out, we have a call for shots fired on Main Street and, you know, officers are on the way and avoid this area, that would be like your policey initial tweet. Mm -hmm. I might say, as the director of media relations, I'm on the way to the scene, meet reporters at at first in Maine or something like that. So I I started to use it as this tool to relate to members of the media who already knew me. But then as that seemed to be successful, I'd switch it up a little bit and just use it as, I don't want to say a marketing tool, but just I met a lot of people in Prince George's County using that social media avenue as a way to get to know people a little bit better and for them to get to know not just me, but me as a represent representative of that department. And the hope was maybe they're going to like us just a little bit better because they're hearing information from someone that they may have already known before from this media market. So that was my thought. And I just kept it. I, oh, I did that throughout. I, I left Prince George's after five years and went to Fairfax County PD right. in Northern Virginia and spent two years there. Same concept, kept it going. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And so, Julie, really largely since the big part chunk of what you've done since jumping over to communications side has been, you know, crisis communications at different levels yeah. and various times. We, we, we do crisis communications when we have to, right? right. When, a client, when a client gets into a crisis, we jump in and we help, but it's not a core competency mm-hmm. tell talk a little bit about if you're an organization and some shit hits the fan like what are the first three things you do like what are what are some best practices to really kind of get things together quickly and stay organized and respond accordingly so the challenge that i have found re- regardless of what industry or profession you're talking about The biggest challenge from the crisis communications perspective is what are we dealing with? What's out there that looks to be 
like the crisis or really what in fact is the crisis. So before you can start messaging, you need to know what's true, what's not, what's within policy, what isn't. Is that video that looks awful just six seconds of a much, much bigger picture and that piece is missing? So essentially reporting, gathering all those facts and putting it together, you know, taking those journalism skills, putting them to work and trying to wrangle the powers that be to get the decision makers to come to a consensus about what it is we're dealing with. And that can be the biggest headache because you are, you know, if it's, if it's a, you know, everyone's definition of crisis is different. So generally to me, crisis communication isn't per se, there was a building collapse, which is a crisis and everyone's rushing to the scene and we've got to manage that crisis. I'm talking about a PR crisis. And, and and those are two very different things. Hopefully, you know, if you're talking about the government, whether it's a, a mayor's office or police, fire, emergency management, hopefully they don't need help managing that building collapse. That's a crisis. They're going to deal with it. They know what to do. They're professionals. They know their jobs. And then the PR folks will certainly know how to message about that. The communications people, this is what they do. It's the PR crisis that becomes so difficult because probably at the core of it, if you as an entity have done something wrong, it's really hard to stand up and say we've done something wrong. And it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of an airline or you're the mayor of a tiny town. It's hard to do. And hiding and hoping is not a PR strategy is one of my go-to lines because people want to, they really want to hide and they really want to hope that the bad thing doesn't come out. But everyone on this podcast right now knows, and many people listening know there's not a lot of places to hide anymore. Mm -hmm. We are in a place where we're all inundated at all times with information. So telling leaders you have to assume this is going to come out if it's not already out. So that's one thing. Urgency. We know from being in the media, we know from working in PR that you have got to be aware of that clock. We are up against the clock the second we find out what the news is because everyone else is either aware of the news, they're about to be aware of the news, or they're going to hear some fragment of truth about the news. So organizations as a whole have got to be better about moving more quickly. This is not the time to gather around the table. Let's get everyone together, come into headquarters. There's no time. There is no, we need to do this on the phone. Mm -hmm. We need to move fast. I'm not saying don't meet, but I'm saying decisions have to be made quickly. Can I interrupt you and for then, a sec? Cause I want to ask yeah. you about that because my experience has been, I, I, I don't like generally lumping a group of human beings into a bucket, but I will. There's lawyers. <laughs> well, you'll do it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll do it. So, like, attorneys generally are the are the ones that are the, almost the toughest to overcome. You get on these calls, and they're saying scary stuff and legalese and legal jargon, and they're, generally speaking, attorneys' first instinct is to do exactly what you said don't do hide, right. circle the wagon, say nothing. And that's kind of a, one of your bigger battles is getting the, you know, the company's count general counsel on board to, Hey, we got to say something quickly 
and react quickly. Sorry, it's just a point I wanted to make. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I had to. It's a very fair point. I had a conversation with lawyers and leadership two days ago, and that they they're doing exactly what you just said and saying, we can't because this, we can't, we can't, we can't. Well, well, this could go in this direction. This could go in this direction. You know, pigs could fall from the sky. Lots of things (laughs) could, they could happen, but it's my job. I feel to push back again, respectfully, but to say, well, if we don't talk and it comes out, then what? And that's always a great question to pose to anyone who's pushing back, whether it's attorneys, which they do. Their job is to protect an entity, to try to avoid lawsuits. But sometimes you're getting sued. There's no question about it. You're getting sued. So let's just acknowledge that and move on and do the best that we can about communicating what we can without blowing up an investigation or without severely damaging, let's say, an entity's reputation. But I will always, till till I'm 89 years old and, and finally hanging it up, I will always push back against, we can't, we shouldn't, let's not talk, let's not, it's just not, it's not realistic. And there, I can't think of instances where the client wins when they say, let's not say anything. Right, right. Ju- Julie, you know, with your background, you and your, the law enforcement side of this, You've seen the screw-ups with regard to crisis communications on both sides, right? You've seen it on the uh, as a reporter. You've seen it happen, and then you've seen it on the on the law enforcement side, where you've seen the results of someone who mismanages a a, a crisis. Can you, without just giving us a ton of names, can you can you give us a scenario that that you saw happen once? What I see happen the most is that entities wait too long to bring in help. So yes, they may have a comms person in place. They may have a couple of people in place. But if if the crisis isn't managed well out of the gate, and sometimes it's not the comms people's fault, it's that leadership pushed back and said, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to say anything. It's don't don't continue to dig yourself deeper into that hole. If you recognize that this isn't going the way you need it to go, don't wait. Don't wait 30 days to bring in your communications backup. 30 days. Think about how long a month is in the news cycle. And that is a common mistake that gets made. And whether it's because it costs money and so everyone's resource challenged, or it's that you don't want to admit that you're not handling it well. One of the one of the best things that that Chief McGall said to me when he hired me way back when in 2011 was, "We have people who work with the media on this department. What I want to do as the chief is hire a media pro to do a media job." And it made perfect, it's so simple, it made perfect sense, but so many organizations don't do that. Mm-hmm. They they find someone on the department who maybe they love social media, or maybe they're really bubbly and outgoing and they like the media. And that doesn't necessarily mean they have all the skill sets needed to handle a crisis. Crisis is extra. You know, if, if yes. you're talking specifically about police or fire, what they do on a daily basis, those are, those are tragedies. Yep. But a crisis, a PR crisis, 
that is extra and organizations should not be slow to reach out to get expert assistance when they're dealing with something that can not only hurt their reputation, but that of the elected officials who who oversee those entities. Hey, Julie, it's Johnny. And I want to ask you a question about starting Julie Parker Communications. Um, like me, when you started an agency, you didn't really have agency experience. And, and I found that to be, when I started Maroon PR, um, I found that in, initially to be terrifying, um, but ultimately to be freeing. Because I think... I, I forgive me for anyone who's listening if you're an agency lifer, but agency lifers kind of are trained in a certain way and they approach agency work in a different kind of way with different kind of, I don't know, um, tactics and strategies that maybe those of us who come from different worlds um, don't necessarily feel beholden to. So when you started, long-winded question, when you started the company, um, how was that? I mean, it was a whole new jump, just like when you jump from media to media relations and now you're starting an agency. What was that experience like for you? And um, what were some of the challenges you thought were there? I firmly agree with everything you just said. I'm not a trained public relations. And when I say that, I mean, I'm not a lifer. I, I didn't grow up in a PR agency. But I think what, what we do differently, John, is that we come from a very practical, tactical standpoint where I have no problem being hired to handle a crisis and literally writing the tweets and putting them into whatever the entity's Twitter feed is mm -hmm. and pushing it out. I like to get my hands dirty and get involved in the quote unquote mess to help fix it. I don't know that that is commonplace, but that's what I love about what I do is I really enjoy the operational piece of helping to manage a crisis. And whether that's setting up the news conference and saying, you're going to go first and these other three are going to go next and here are your key messages. Here are some talking points. Who's going to be live tweeting? Are we going to stream this live on Facebook. I, I just really enjoy being in the thick of that. I think certainly for what I do, which is largely government, it's probably 90% of my business is either public safety of some shape or form, police, fire, emergency management, or government entities, mayors, county executives, council members sort of thing. And so I'm just used to working in that space and sort of knowing what needs to be done that's going to be most effective to ensure that the media gets what it needs. But my thought process is always using the media to get to the public that is watching this crisis unfold in their particular jurisdiction. So it's, I, I, I know why your question was, was a little bit long, John, because it's sort of, it's hard to explain the difference, but yeah. I think we are cut from that same cloth. Yeah, Julie, I think you know your background as a as a television news reporter, now combined with with your experience in the in the in the crisis side of things, um, and dealing with social media and the twenty four hour news cycle, etc. I mean, that's a pretty big package there. So, with that, with all of that. 
tell us what you think the future holds with regard to, well, this is a loaded question, television news as it stands now and as it was, and of course it's changed so much, and then and then the, the social media side of things and how we, we can use that as a, not only do we deal with it for the 24-hour news cycle, but also how we can use the tools that we can manage it a little bit better. So there's a lot of work still to be done for organizations when it comes to them telling their story using social media. The tagline for my company is tell your story because not enough people do. And they rely on the media to do it for them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how long the five and the six o'clock local news shows will, will live at least in the, in the way we know them now. I'm actually sort of surprised they've lasted in this fashion for this long. Are we going to be in a place where we can get our news on demand, where I can hit up one of the local reporters on Twitter and say, Hey, I, I didn't see last night's 11, but could you tell me more about the fire on South Street, and that reporter then gets back to me. Who knows? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm terrible at predicting because I never would have predicted Facebook would become Meta, which that's a whole other story. <laughs> but nor could we have ever predicted Twitter would exist if we were talking in 2005. I'm from a space where I was in a newsroom before there was the internet. Oh my God, I'm like 100 <laughs> years old. But that's just the point. How, how could we ever know where this is going to go? But I will always maintain that people will want hyper-local news. I still read mm-hmm. the newspaper, the Lakeland's Leader, that comes to my to my front door because I care about what happened in Midtown. I care if there was a car set on fire in my community. That's not going to change. I don't see that changing. What it's going to look like, I can't tell you, Matt. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really fascinating. You know, I think on its face, some PR pros look at the evolving landscape of local media and they freak out, right? Like, where am I going to tell my stories? I think there's more, there's more ways to your point, Julia, telling your story effectively now than ever because of social media, sure. because you can create your own content and push it out. And frankly, now you have news gathering agencies that maybe it's a shrinking newsroom, but they're accepting things they never used to accept. We're it's sending amazing. them B-roll from Brittany. They're using it on air. We're sending them photos. Yeah. We're using them in the paper. That's great, right? Um, and they're more, they would never be willing to do that not that long ago. So there are those right. opportunities, right? And if you tell your story well enough, there are entities that will take your release and read it on yeah. air yeah. verbatim, mm-hmm. which is shocking. But, you know, good for you if you if you can write a news release that's well written in such a way that the media will rip and read. Old <laughs> yeah, school. Right. Go on the air, rip it off the printer and read it. Yep. There's, there's less people there. They're telling more and waiting more hats or telling more stories and they need expediency. And as a result, they need yes. PR pros. So yes. it, it is a good time for our industry. I really do believe that. Um, Julie, really thank you very much for taking a few minutes of your time. Um, everybody listening, again, give Julie a follow on Twitter, julieparker.com, julieparker, C-O-M-M, and then visit julieparkercommunications.com. Um, it's been really wonderful speaking with you. I think we have a very similar approach and mindset yep. to, to this industry. And, uh, and I think what people listening today are going to have a lot of positives to take away. 
Thanks for listening to Spin is a Four-Letter Word. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe. Send us your feedback, too. We want this to be interesting for everybody. And give us a follow, at MaroonPR on Twitter and LinkedIn.